Access to clean air and water are some of the cornerstones of an advanced society, yet many people still lack these necessities. Stories of rashes and hair loss arise when discussing contaminated water supplies, along with those of cancer, devastating families exposed to carcinogenic air for generations. These stories aren't coming from impoverished or developing countries. No, these are the testimonies of U.S. citizens growing up in towns like Flint, Michigan and Port Arthur, Texas. Hi, I'm Shahom, and welcome to Seems Hopeless. Today, we'll be discussing how while most of the U.S. benefits from some of the best air and water regulations globally, many low-income communities are left behind without a voice to protest larger entities' financial interests. Passed in 1970, the Clean Air Act allowed the Environmental Protection Agency to establish clean air standards and enforce them nationwide. Four years later, the Safe Drinking Water Act gave the EPA similar enforcement rights over drinking water in towns around the U.S. to help maintain American drinking water quality. As a result of these landmark acts, the U.S. managed to reverse the damage it had started to cause to its ecosystems restoring air purity in residential areas on a large scale and making tap water around the country drinkable. These acts are why you don't see comparisons between breathing for a day in, per se, New York, and smoking X packets of cigarettes, as you do with many other international industrial metropolia like Beijing or Mumbai. But these programs do have flaws, not necessarily in the letter of the law, but in the impartial enforcement of these laws nationwide, wherein individual communities are allowed to fall through the cracks. After oil was first found in Port Arthur, Texas in the early 1900s, refineries started to pop up, producing money and pollution. The town's population grew through the century as more money started to flow. But as the end of the century approached, many of those profiting the most left to find other places to live, escaping the town's now poisonous air and taking their money with them. This history is important to understand when you hear activists like Hilton Kelly, an activist born and raised in Port Arthur, remember being scolded for saying that the sulfurous air smelled like farts as a kid, but being told that it was instead the smell of money by their elders. Kelly elaborated upon the town's attitudes towards the refinery, with most of them seeing it as a necessary evil for the employment that they provided, even while acknowledging that without a history of cancer in the family, it is not natural to lose multiple close family members to cancer as Port Arthur has a lung cancer rate 62% higher than the state average. These problems arise from the eight oil and petrochemical treatment plants surrounding the town, each of which individually complies with the Clean Air Act, yet together ruin the town's air, causing higher cancer and asthma rates. These effects are exacerbated when high winds and flooding cause more pollutants to be released every hurricane season. 
and because of the lack of financial powers in the city's populace, significant changes have yet to be instituted to stop the unethical practices, while major companies continue to profit from the town at the harm of its people. There are many Port Arthurs around the U.S., towns unprotected and used by large corporations. Yet one place where the malpractice was somewhat successfully stopped is Flint, Michigan. Originally the home of General Motors, Flint, Michigan had a booming economy and population in the mid-1900s, but since the 60s has seen a near halving of their population and went into economic deficit in the early 2010s with 40% of residents under the poverty line according to the 2010 census. As a result, the Michigan state government began sending in emergency managers to aid the city in handling their debt, like Ben in Parks and Rec. In 2014, the debt manager and city council together decided to switch refineries in hopes of saving hundreds of millions of dollars over the next decade. During the transition period, the city committed to using their local water treatment plant and using water from the Flint River to tide them over while the infrastructure was put in place to get access to their new treatment station. Over the coming years, this decision would cost the city much more than it ever could have saved in money or lives. critical error on the part of the city was in opting not to add anti-corrosive agents to their water supply, which under normal circumstances created a protective coating on the inside surface of the city's lead pipelines. This lack of a coating caused lead and iron to begin to leach into the city's water over the next few years, with iron attacking and deactivating the antibacterial agents in the water and letting bacteria flourish, while the lead directly poisoned the people of the town. This resulted in an E. coli outbreak and breakouts in other rare bacterial diseases, like Legionnaire's disease, which killed 12 people, while also slowly poisoning those in the town with lead. The tragedy of the situation is that the city officials were intentionally dishonest on their EPA tests, flushing pipes with running water for five minutes before starting their tests to remove any lead flakes that would have had the test flagged. They might have gotten away with it too. Had Virginia Tech researchers not conducted private tests upon the water samples from people's homes. In their initial water samples, they found a range of lead concentrations from 200 to 13,200 parts per billion, which is terrible, considering that a concentration of 15 parts per billion is the usual threshold when EPA action must be taken, and 5,000 parts per billion is classified as hazardous waste by the EPA. These bacterial and lead poisoning issues led to stories of rashes and hair loss brought from bathing in the city's tap water, and the Virginia Tech follow-up study spurned the state and national levels to take attention and call a state of emergency finally. The town resumed their pre-treated water program they had used before and had to commit to replacing all of the city's lead pipelines to stop the leaching. Thanks to the outside intervention, and the fact that it was a government program with a level of required transparency, measures were eventually enacted. Sadly, 
Flint, Michigan is not alone and is one of few success stories, while Port Arthur is even further behind, still trying to gain enough attention to force the EPA to interfere with the industrial powerhouses controlling their town. In the past, the EPA has done a fair job of enforcing the Clean Air Act and Safe Drinking Water Act, but people in the communities least protected have seen the cracks, and some organizations fight to help draw attention to them. Studies into the enforcement of these acts are few and far between, yet some can be found. In a 2009 study from Washington State University, Professor David Kaniski investigates these trends and searched for factors that affect the enforcement of the Clean Air Act, finding the main deciding factor to be the median household income on a county-to-county basis, which is reflected in the cases that we've seen today. It is doubly concerning that the companies are often aware of this when making project decisions on where to build. The EPA still holds the power to enforce these laws, but need to be aware of the infractions to aid people. Thankfully, that is the goal of certain groups, a pathway through which others can help the people being exploited. Some groups specialize in finding and drawing political attention to these cases, like Earth Justice, the Environmental Justice and Law Group, currently aiding Hilton Kelly of Port Arthur, to make his town's voice heard by publishing about them and helping get him support in D.C. This issue is one of legal enforcement, as while these communities should be protected, the EPA and other governmental organizations turn a blind eye at times, or companies use the laws as protection for themselves. To fight this, we suggest donating to Earth Justice, a nonprofit environmental justice law group, which helps tighten the rules and draw attention to situations like these. Considering that it took a declaration of emergency from pe- from President Obama for Flint to get help, it will take a lot to induce widespread change. So we hope you consider aiding to this battle and donating. While these situations are dire, there are people fighting to to stop these inequities, and we hope you can become one of them. So remember to take action and stay hopeful.